This is an X to Delft podcast. Welcome to the fifth episode of the Let's Talk About X podcast. In our small but cozy studio in the basement of the X building, we invite other students and experts to join us to discuss topics that are interesting for you, the students of the TU Delft. My name is Pepijn. And my name is Aideen. And we are your hosts of today. Today we're going to talk about the state of plastic recycling in the Netherlands. This January, the Dutch Sustainable Growth Coalition, a group of eight Dutch multinationals, published a report which stated that it's not going well at the moment. To talk about this current state of affairs and the solutions, we invited two guests for you today. First and foremost, we invited Tor Tummers, external affairs at Unilever, and he contributed quite a lot on the report of the DSGC. Secondly, Rochelle is here, recent TU Delft alumni of the architecture uh, faculty, founder of Conscious Design, a company that specialized in using uh, plastic waste in design and already gave TED Talks here at the TU Delft on this topic. Um, so yeah, these are the guests of today. Welcome everyone. How are you guys feeling? Very well. Yeah. Thanks. Nice to be here. Thanks for having us. Yeah, good, good that you're here. Um, maybe we should start with you. Pepin already introduced you as an architect and also an engineer. And your company is called Conscious Design. Why conscious, actually? Um, do you feel like there's not enough consciousness on yes. the, the topic of waste and plastic recycling? Well, I, I think that in general, our, uh, the, the profession of architecture is not, it claims to be very conscious, or we are taught to be very conscious in our education as well, but when it comes to the climate emergency that we are in, the entire profession seems to uh, be indifferent towards uh, how we should consciously produce things. And that's the idea where I wanted to create conscious designs right after university. I started it because I was frustrated of this uh, indifference from the field. So your graduation project was also, um, yes. yeah, your motivation start to continue yeah. with this topic. So I, I, I think the seed of the, uh, of the project kind of started when I was still in Mumbai, or doing my bachelor's, seeing the city being, um, yeah, half of the city living in slums and then the issue of pollution and plastic waste uh, polluting everything in, around the city. And when I came to uni over here, I, uh, during my master, I decided I, I want to tackle it from another angle. And that's why we, I went to Indonesia with the studio and the same issues I saw in Mumbai, I saw it there. And I started connecting the dots that if this is the case, probably it hap is happening everywhere in the world. And what if we could come up with a solution that can be uh, implemented in most of these places? And that's where it all started. Nice. Yeah, it's interesting to hear how that would also implement and um, yeah, be relevant for the Dutch context. Yeah. Maybe, Tor, also um, towards you. You work for Unilever. Um, you're responsible for um, external issue and stakeholder management. Yeah. Could you maybe explain a bit what that, yeah, what that is and also what your role is um, in the coalition? Yes, of course, happy to. And um, so my role within Unilever is focused on external affairs, which basically means that my target audiences are not consumers and customers. Uh, they are governments. I work with uh, knowledge institutes, um, uh, societal organizations, NGOs uh, to discuss more holistic or corporate topics we, um, we should address as a multinational company. So if we see the responsibility we have because we are 
producing so many products and providing so many consumers with our brands, we also have a responsibility to um, to be part of the solution for the bigger challenges. That in includes plastics, it includes obesity, uh, health and well-being, it includes animal testing. It's, it's, it's quite broad topic-wise, but uh, my focus is in particular on uh, circular economy for plastics, which aims to create a circular plastics loop um, internationally so not not even in the netherlands but uh, my focus is on uh, on the eu uh, and reduce food waste and especially prevent food waste it's a very broad broad scope then actually yeah yeah interesting okay very uh, very good that you're both here and uh, thank you for uh, for introducing yourselves um, we're of course going to talk about the plastic recycling and about certain ways of reusing plastics like the building blocks for houses for instance uh, but before this, we had a, a video call with the chairman of the Dutch Sustainable Growth Coalition, uh, which is uh, our former Prime Minister, Jan-Pieter Balkenende. Uh, let's quickly listen to uh, what he could tell us. Welcome, Mr. Balkenende, to the Let's Talk About X podcast. Thank you very much for, uh, for making some time for us. How are you doing? Very well. Despite all these circumstances, uh, it's, it's a bad time. Uh, you're not allowed uh, to leave your house in the evening. Uh, the students cannot go to university. Uh, there are no big events. Uh, the offices where I'm working, for example, at EY, they are closed. So this is the reality. Uh, on the other hand, we have to make the best of it. We have to cope with it, and we are waiting for better times. Yeah, it's a very difficult time, of course. And uh, actually, this is also the reason why we started to make uh, a podcast at uh, at AX, the, the former sports and culture center of, uh, of Delft, of the TU Delft. And um, uh, yeah, we try to, uh, to make a podcast about all kinds of topics, and this time about plastic recycling within the Netherlands, because the Dutch Sustainable Growth Coalition uh, published a report on the uh, recycling of plastics in the Netherlands. And while preparing uh, this call, I saw that you have a lot of positions at different companies or institutes. For instance, you're an external senior advisor at EI, you're a professor at the Erasmus University Rotterdam, but for us, the most relevant right now, you're the chairman of this Dutch Sustainable Growth Coalition since uh, 2012, if I'm correct. Uh, how did you get involved in this uh, in this coalition? Yeah, it's, it's, it's a nice question. Um, what happened in uh, 2011, I had a breakfast meeting with Paul Polman. He was CEO of Unilever in those days. And then we said, it's remarkable that so many Dutch companies are high on the Dow Jones Sustainability Index. Why shouldn't we join forces? What can we learn from each other? Let's uh, reflect together on the question, what are sustainable growth business models? And then we uh, had a contact with Fekas Sibisma, he was the CEO of DSM, and then we invited other CEOs. And then we uh, said, let's start with this coalition. So the basic idea was to uh, reflect on what are sustainable growth business models, what does it mean, what are the concrete examples, how you, can you implement this type of thinking within your own company. And then it was a matter of asking yourself the right questions. Questions like, how can we as companies contribute to the SDGs, the Sustainable Development Goals? How can we contribute to the issue of climate change? And last report, what, how, what can we do uh, regarding uh, the circular economy? Uh, I think it's a very uh, inspirational organization. Later on, we had projects around biofuels and shipping. Uh, we have meetings with the Dutch government. We are working together with Dutch embassies. We are active within the World Economic Forum and the United Nations. Uh, and last report was about plastics, that you already mentioned that. So it's a, it's a, I think it's a great organization. Uh, the focus is on the role of companies regarding sustainability here, but especially also abroad. Yeah, and you're you're talking a lot about uh, the companies, but also a lot about yep. the the that, uh, about the sustainable growth goals. Um, why is it that the the companies, as it seems at least, uh, have to take initiative in 
in this matter? Why is it not coming from the, the, the Dutch government, for instance, to yeah. start looking more at these, these problems and also the solutions? Yeah, the, the world has changed. You're young. I remember the time when I was a student. And in those days, we expected everything from the welfare state. If there are societal issues, we thought the state has to do it. And Milton Friedman in those days said, the business of business business. That was his wording. The world has changed completely. Today, companies do have their own responsibility regarding sustainability. It's not only a matter of a government responsibility. It is the, the question is, how can companies contribute to a better world? Uh, somebody like Michael Port of Harvard Business School, he said, it's about creating shared value. Companies must generate economic value and societal value. And exactly this notion uh, kept us busy. We said we have to contribute to a better world, a more sustainable world. And that means that, that you ask yourself the question, what is our role? What are our own responsibilities? And of course, you can talk with the government, but it starts with your own conviction, uh, your own views, and your own willingness to change, to rethink the strategy of your company. And what's the future uh, future vision of the of the DSGC? What are they going to do in the in the future after they now uh, publish the report on the recycling of plastics? Yeah, the key element of our activity is make the SDGs a reality. Yeah. And that means that, so we have had a report and a pilot on biofuels and shipping. And now you can, all over the world, people are talking about the issue of biofuels. Now we talk about plastics. We will talk about food and health. That is the next uh, project. But also we will deliver a statement for the cabinet formation we will have uh, within a few weeks' time, when it will start. <laughs> yeah. So, and we have contact with uh, international organizations like the UN, World Economic Forum, and so on. Uh, for example, this week, uh, I will uh, speak at a, a meeting with high-ranked CEOs from Japan about the circular economy, uh, the, the meaning of it in the Netherlands, but also what it can mean for a country like uh, Japan. And also the Minister of Environment will attend. So it's uh, all about realizing the SDGs, the, the Paris Agreement regarding climate and making the circular economy a reality. That's what they intend to do. That's what the goal of the DSCC is. Yeah. Great, great. And then uh, finally, to uh, to uh, close off this uh, this meeting, um, what do you think, or what would you recommend to uh, to students, uh, maybe especially at the TU Delft? What should they do in order to try to contribute to these goals as well? Yeah. And in the first place, I think it's great to be young in these days. Uh, of course, it, it's there are challenging times and of there course. are a lot of difficulties, <laughs> but. You also see that there is a global agenda we can use, SDGs. I think a lot of young people are enthusiastic uh, about it. Uh, it's the time of the new economy. There are some new, new innovations, technologies, and so on. Uh, and you can combine the views you have as a student uh, with what's happening in the world. So if you are young, I think it's a matter of how can you contribute to a better world. That means learn about SDGs, about the circular economy. Try to lay a connection with your study. And later on, when you start your career, use those uh, views and insights. Um, you, you, of course, you know the founder of modern economic thinking, Adam Smith. And he was well known because of his view on the invisible hand in the economy. The invisible and hand, it was, yeah. Uh, yeah, and it was written down in The Wealth of Nations. But people have forgotten that before he wrote that book, he wrote another book that was The Theory of Moral Sentiments. And for Adam Smith, it was a combination of the invisible hand on the one hand and the moral sentiments on the other hand. And in this century, I think it's really a matter of having the right combination between ethics and the economy. It's not only about being profitable as a company, it's also how can you contribute to a better society. And young people can really make a difference. That's the reason why I like students when they are involved in the issues like we're discussing now, but also with young professionals. 
uh, because we need the creativity to get a better world. Thank you very much. I think that's an, uh, an advice that young people can use. And uh, I also noticed that this weekend, for example, a lot of students were uh, standing next to the train station in Delft uh, trying to uh, get attention for the climate alarm in, uh, in the Netherlands because they think yep. it's a real issue that should be tackled by the next government at least. Um, yep. So I think uh, that a lot of people will try to uh, do their best in this. We, we cannot wait. We're running out of time. Yeah, we have to we speed up the, and scale up the developments. We have to, uh, to reach our goals quickly. That's it. Thank That's you very it. much for your time. Thank um, you very much. And uh, thank you uh, yeah, for, uh, for helping us out. Good luck with uh, reaching the goals of the DSGC and uh, have a nice day. Thank you very much. Likewise. So, uh, so yeah, that's what Jan-Peter uh, told us. Um, and uh, Tor, I would like to ask to you, uh, he mentions uh, a few times like that the companies have to uh, take the initiative, that they have to contribute to a better world, uh, a better society. Uh, what's your opinion on this? Yeah, I fully agree on that uh, assessment. And I think that's also good to understand that it is not a business, uh, that's not a moral imperative as such. So you have to do it as a business, but you can also do it and become a profitable and growing business. So there's a business imperative. And sometimes there tends to be a feeling that sustainability um, will lead to lesser business results uh, compared to doing nothing. But in fact, it's the opposite. When you create sustainable growth models and you drive circular economy, for instance, there's also uh, growth and uh, profits to be made. So you can combine the circularity aspect uh, in environmental impact, in material resource efficiency, and the economic aspect. So it's a combination that uh, definitely um, I fully uh, endorse. Uh, can you give an example maybe of uh, something like that? Yeah, so when um, when we try to, to build brands, and especially brands with a strong sustainability character, you could, uh, you're probably familiar with Ben & Jerry's, we know that consumers would like to have um, ingredients that are sourced sustainably. We also have to communicate that, but we can't do that from scratch. So we have to work with suppliers and create long-term contracts to make sure they do the investments to create sustainable uh, uh, dairy, um, uh, fair trade uh, cacao or vanilla, and then we can communicate that to consumers. It creates a sustainable value chain because we have long-term uh, contracts and it also creates value towards consumers because they are simply willing to pay more for that same type of ice cream, um, which doesn't have any sustainable um, characteristics. Yeah, we're talking about ethics and economy, something that uh, Balkanenda also talked about. I think it's interesting there's so many initiatives here at TU Delft as well, and they're, yeah, they're studying their own companies, they're studying their own, uh, they're developing, developing their own ideas into startups. And Ruship, I think one, you're one of the examples for this. I think if we talk about um, how companies also have a social responsibility, you, you probably agree on this. Uh, but but why yeah why not invest your um, talent your ideas in existing buildings but start yeah go your own way um, because we are not doing it fast enough uh, we need radically new ideas and the existing companies are not are not do not have the courage yet to really change their way of working and uh, it's it's just simple economics if they radically change something they're taking a big risk. And they're simply not willing to take it in many con uh, many um, uh, situations. And uh, I completely agree with uh, 
the conversation with the ex-prime minister and uh, that young people are enthusiastic, but I would say they are more frustrated than they're enthusiastic. They are, they are fed up of the way it has been working so far and they are fed up of how the previous generation has handled this issue and they have put us in this situation to deal with it. So it's not much of an enthusiasm that we are so excited to work on this. It's much more about we really need to do something or otherwise, also, otherwise yeah. we don't have any other way of uh, having our kids live on this planet. Yeah, but simple as that. But I think the the report that the DSTC published actually shows that the companies want to take the courage in order to yeah. to uh, start implementing certain changes. Uh, so Tor, could you um, yeah describe what the main conclusions of the report are? Yeah, of course, and also um, uh, partly agree with uh, with your comment that uh, sometimes it's difficult for companies to change because of a vested interest. You have these types of products, you have your processes, your factories, you did a lot of investment, you simply can't change that from uh, one day to the next. But I think the, the change is also in terms of your attitude. Do you explain why you can't change or do you tell governments and stakeholders what you need to change? So uh, having that open approach, thinking, okay, we would like to create a circular economy for plastics, or we would like to reduce food waste, uh, but this is what we need. And it can be an organizational challenge, and uh, a legal challenge, or uh, or barriers in terms of organization or finance, and then we need to overcome these barriers. And I think yeah. that is the approach we also took in the report. So the first phase, we tried to analyze uh, what is happening in the value chain, because the players of the Dutch Central Growth Coalition are positioned at different places in the value chain. Then we had these these challenges outlined, and when we thought about okay, what can be the solutions? So there were interviews with a lot of experts um, uh, from different parts of the value chain, from the companies. Uh, okay, what is the the solution we would need or the key intervention? Mm -hmm. And the key word is there scale. So we can probably come up with a very small scale closed loop plastic uh, item or, or packaging type. But it uh, needs to be big. It needs to be big. Yeah. Uh, uh, those are big companies and we need to have that impact. So finally, we then produced a set of, um, of policy recommendations um, to share with policymakers on EU level and a member state level and also even internationally. Um, what is, what what is a, an enabling legal framework with the, the right incentives to drive circularity? And one of the insights is we currently do not incentivize it. We incentivize a linear economy. So that's what we try to do with the report and be as uh, specific as possible. So not in general call for circularity, but in regulation A or in uh, directive B, we need to change something. And that is what we try to do. What will then lead to the circularity uh, incentive actually? Uh, exactly. Yeah. yeah, I think I, I read that in the report that uh, there needs to be a level playing field for uh, recycled yeah. content to be to be competitive against virgin uh, materials, exactly. especially when it comes to plastic, when oil is uh, becoming so cheaper cheap, and cheaper. Yeah. There's no incentive for, or there is no moral incentive for plastic producers to... Um, to start using recycled plastics, yeah. Yeah, yeah I think that's a, this is a, indeed one of the insights that uh, you can't expect the entire business sector yeah. to make that change based on we need to do it for the world. So we need to create these incentives and there can be financial sti stimulating measures, grants and subsidies. There can also be some f forms of taxes to, to drive that change. So, so a lot of governmental... Um, measures actually have to be taken. Yeah, that is uh, yeah. indeed the case because of the the, the, the level playing field we have. Yeah. Um, but we also included uh, innovative examples from the companies. So it's not that the companies are not doing anything yet until these incentives are there. We are already experimenting yeah. and we're trying to do something as well. Also, the, which has an on-cost 
uh, but we need to be prepared because we know this change is coming. We see a lot of legislation coming our way, and sometimes rightfully so, sometimes a little bit rushed. Yeah. Uh, so we need to be prepared for that. So uh, we also shared examples because you can't government you can't ask governments to do something and not do anything yourself. No, exactly. So for the for the new government, there's actually quite a quite a big role there to uh, to change. Um, and the report was published and uh, handed over to the European Commission, if I'm correct. Yes. Uh, to uh, to Frans Timmermans, the the Dutch uh, um, member of the of the European Commission. Um, did he already um, respond more than what he, of course, said during the real handover? Yeah, he did. He did respond, and he said uh, a, a few um, promising uh, pr promising words. Uh, so one of all, uh, one first of all was we need this type of publications to really know what is happening on the ground. Yeah. So practical examples of um, of the current situation, but also uh, mentioned that. Uh, in the his big plan, the European Green Deal is focused on creating a first carbon neutral continent, carbon-positive okay. continent, and plastics and the CO2 emissions that are related to the production, use, and incineration or landfill of plastics are uh, one of the main contributors. And there they have a, a so-called action plan, which is called the New Circular Economy Action Plan. And he said we need to revise all kinds of legislation to see does it fit the, per the goals we initially set. Yeah, because it's too complex right now. Indeed. In the, in the report, at least. Yeah, and yeah. It's, uh, it's a complex uh, in terms of organization, of delegated mm. uh, decisions. Uh, municipalities can decide, uh, member states can decide, the European Commission has some directors, so on all kinds of levels. But yeah. it also links to a lot of other um, parts of the European com uh, Union in this sense. Uh, can we ship uh, waste from country A to country B? Uh, when is this preferable and when isn't it preferable? And sometimes uh, legislation is made with the right intentions, but you need to be revised based on the latest uh, states of technology or uh, new situations. Um, so that was a promising uh, part, uh, a promising uh, response from uh, from Timmermans. And I think uh, furthermore, he also explains that creating a business incentive is also something uh, a commission or member states can do temporarily. So it's not something that we need to change the entire system for good, but you can have a uh, that that gap you mentioned on uh, on the price of virgin plastics versus recycled plastics, yeah. you can create a a program to bridge that gap temporarily, and then when you have a, a level playing field, you can create create scale and create impact, and then, and then it the becomes system a will yeah. yeah. So you don't don't yeah. have to do that structurally. I mean, I I I think that it's it's such a complicated issue when you talk about plastics alongside with carbon emissions, because. Uh, at one, one side, plastic really helps to reduce food waste, and it's a packaging material that has such less carbon uh, impact compared to if you're using a tote bag or if you're using any other other material. Uh, the the issue lies in the pollution aspect of, of plastic and the the leakage aspect of plastic. So when, when you are talking about uh, shipping this, these plastics to other countries, the issue is that these in most of these cases, these countries can't even handle their own plastic. So when they are bombarded with more plastic, they will happily accept it because there's money coming that way, but they can't uh, accept it and that ends up leaking into our environment. And process the, the, yeah. the plastic so themselves, yeah. And, and, the, and the frameworks are set in such a way that once the plastic is shipped out of uh, X country, then it's already con assumed that it's recycled. So if if which is not the case yes and no. in in some cases uh, I don't know if you've seen uh, uh, in Hong Kong there was an issue that 
the containers left from the country and they reached there and they only found out what the contents of the containers were when they opened the containers at the venue. But they didn't and, even know what, what and was the, it. Oh, the oh. contamination of these plastics was so bad that they didn't accept the plastic. The, the producer didn't mm. accept the plastic and it's lying there and there are many landfills there where the plastic just lies there. So these are the issues when you export it to other countries. Yeah, but like for example, the the measures that um, that are in the report that Tor also mentioned, could these measures enhance um, your business process, what you are doing within uh, conscious designs? Uh, well, what I'm doing with my project is basically downcycling plastic to create uh, a material New that value. yes, yeah. uh, to create value for something that's really overflowing in these markets, and and e and even if we we are able to reach this. Uh, idea bring it to scale we are still not tackling it on a, on a really large scale the, the, the problem is a lot, lot larger than that um, so yeah I, I, what what's happening in the report it's I think it's really important that um, there are there are different levels on which you have to tackle it from the government level with policies from the producer level that they ensure that most of the plastic comes back to them and it's it's a closed loop recycling the consumers have also their own uh, part in this to yeah. to buy products that are to become that more they know aware are recyclable because yeah. all even if the box says that it's recyclable that doesn't really mean that your local municipality is actually being able to recycle it no, so ask your municipality good. if they are actually recycling it yeah. so pet and hdp are the most recyclable plastic out there but there are seven other uh, or five yeah. other plastics including the seventh category which is the other plastics which nobody knows what's in there <laughs> and uh, it's probably getting burnt. So uh, as consumers also, you need to buy products that are recyclable so that consumers or uh, producers make those plastics. And at the end, it comes to the plastic manufacturer itself because they have all the knowledge of how yeah. to make this material. So they should be able to figure out how to re recycle it and make a complete closed loops loop recycling instead of a downcycling process. Yeah, so actually you would state that your business model or your business process would be gone if the cycle would be completely closed in an ideal world i would in i would be world. happy that my my business goes yeah. goes out of business if we don't have any more plastic your to recycle is a sort of uh, remedy for, yes. for the current it's, situation it's a yeah. it's a i see it as a time a time <laughs> capsule yeah, exactly. i'm not getting rid of the plastic or You're just the idea is not getting rid of the plastic it's it's yeah. it's putting it in a time capsule so hopefully in the future we figure out how what to do yeah. with it yeah okay and uh, um, Mr. Balkan and I also, yeah, talked about the social responsibility. And you also say, as as a consumer, you you have to become more conscious on on what you buy and uh, what the source of your products are. Um, and what does this actually mean uh, within the report for the DSGC? Um, like the the companies have to contribute to, uh, yeah, having more social responsibility as well. Um, but are the companies going to invest in these solutions themselves as well in the end or should that become more uh, a source of the of the government to do and also like in the report it states that for example shell uh, has a has a certain method of um yeah creating new new sources of of plastic building blocks via uh, paralysis uh philips can use a lot of materials in their household appliances etc so how's that um yeah, uh, how how is the view of the DSGC on that? Do yeah. they want to invest uh, in it? Uh, of course, and uh, first a quick response on the, on the pre previous explanation. I, I fully uh, uh, endorse your your view on 
we, we need to have a bigger ambition in long term, but we need to have sort of interim solutions as well. So I had a look at your uh, at your website. looks uh, looks very uh, very professional, and especially your explanation on what you're actually doing. As I understand, you're using plastic waste to create a new long term uh, product, which are building blocks for houses, and they are designed quite innovative. Uh, for people to use them themselves, and I think a few a uh, few things I liked about that idea is that you create something that can be used by consumers or people uh, quite easily. So you don't have to radically change your behavior to use this uh, sustainable, sustainably sourced uh, building block, or at least made from plastic waste. Uh, whereas other solutions require a lot of change from a consumer or a citizen. And uh, our experience is that consumers have really challenging changing their habits. And that's something we can't expect them to do. They need, uh, it's, it's an all different cycle within psycho um, uh, how can you incentivize them using role models? And, and it's so difficult. So creating something which is easy, right for hand, but it is still scalable because we still landfill or incinerate, um, let's say two thirds or even up to 80% perhaps of our uh, plastic waste. So, so there's a lot of leakage. Yeah, there's yeah. a lot. Uh, so, so if we are to the point where we don't have any supply left, uh, we'll come <laughs> up with new solutions, but yeah. we're far not uh, there yet. And linking that to your, to your question about what should we do, so I think, uh, first of all, we need to take responsibility that goes beyond our direct circle of influence. So we can design packaging or, or products that are have the, uh, the end of life stage in mind. So we, we call that eco design or circular design. But if we then know this is a recyclable uh, uh, packaging format, but when it goes to the retailer, to the consumer, to the municipality, it doesn't get sorted, it doesn't get recycled. So what are we actually doing it for? So taking a responsibility that goes beyond our direct circle of influence is crucial. Uh, the instrument there is called EPR, Extended Producer Responsibility, and we are fully in favor of those uh, types of legislation where the business sector takes a broader responsibility than their own, uh, than their own their step in the profit view. Exactly. So, speak, so yeah. uh, that's the first. But then you need to also work with partners to exchange those information and views. What what is the material? Yeah, we can identify it based on seven numbers on pack. But that's yeah. if it is mono material, sometimes it's multi material, uh, or it's even more complex with other types of material, aluminium or coatings or paper. So uh, we need to have a, a, a continuous discussion or. A, uh, discussions across those value chain partners. So we need to talk to the waste sector, we need to talk to the chemical sector, we need to talk to the municipalities and vice versa. On every level within this value chain. Yeah, and yeah. information exchange, it's, it seems uh, uh, we, you have to call somebody, but it's mm -hmm. also about information systems. Do uh, Can a sorter easily identify our type of packaging and can they sort it? Do we need to use tracers or can they sort plastic resin types? Or can we simplify the portfolio that we use the HDPE, the, uh, the PET, to ensure that we don't use difficult to recycle plastics, or at least... Is it PET? No is a type of plastic, right? Yeah, PET yeah, okay, is the... Yeah. Uh, you probably know it from the PET Poly bottles. Uh, yeah, um, yeah, yeah. And, uh, and PE is a, a rigid ty type of plastic where okay. we, we use for our detergents. For yeah, instance. chemicals and detergents. Yeah. But maybe to ask about this interim solutions, because the Sustainable um, Growth Coalition, is it working really towards the circular um, idea, the circular economy, or are there also yeah, interim innovations that are being developed? Yeah. Um, and on what terms are we talking? Like 
Yeah, the years? terms are very, very uh, good and difficult question, um, uh, but we're doing both. So one of the okay. solutions we are, are working on is innovative recycling technologies, as you mentioned from uh, from Shell. Yeah. So th there has to be an, a way to turn plastics back to a high quality, virgin quality even type of plastics where you have less downcycling. Uh, and we still need a lot of mechanical recycling and a lot of downcycling, which is still necessary, but we had to we have this technology now. I think it's even at a uh, relatively sc uh, large scale. So there are yeah. there are sites actually, but we need to really scale that much more and improve that process. Better yields, lower energy use, and that can be a, a, a strong solution, a strong contributor to the solution. But it's not a silver bullet. When we have that technology, we still have challenges in collection, challenges in sorting. So I wouldn't call that interim solutions, but part of the puzzle. Uh, in terms of timings, I think uh, uh, the majority of commitments from the companies are uh, towards 2025, 100% recyclable packaging. Or oh, so uh, that's soon. That's quite that's soon. That's around the corner, yeah. Exactly. And in terms of policies, uh, much more towards 2030. But if you know the investment cycle of a uh, typical chemical, uh, um, uh, the chemical sector, those investment cycles are 10 to 15 years. So they have to make decisions that know their business model for the, for the coming decade. Yeah, it should fit. Yeah, so you need to align those yeah. uh, trajectories. And uh, in the meantime, you can do all kinds of smaller scale pilots. You know, okay, can this be something that could work in the future? Mm -hmm. Or do we need to go towards a different direction? Um, and on substitution, I think that's also good to understand. Um, we are looking for other packaging materials or products in addition to Just plastics. to reduce the amount necessary exactly yeah. uh, however we should also consider that uh, glass recycling consumes a lot of energy as well and it's not solving all the issues so we yeah. need to have that balance and of course um, uh, consumers have kinds of habits that also difficult to change so we need to find the right balance there but work on scalable solutions can i ask one more question yeah um we were we were saying before that ideally worship your company wouldn't be there in the future um, but I'm wondering if this is possible to to really say, okay, we the the technology is so good that we don't need to, we, yeah, there's no need to downgrade um, or yeah downcycle anymore. Um, is that is that a reality, or do we actually in this idea of circular economy already think, okay, what do we do if yeah, what what happens after the plastic if it's used and can't be recycled? Well, that's a very complicated. Can you simplify that question for me? you shorten it out yeah i'm wondering if it's i mean do you truly believe that your company uh yeah is not necessary anymore well, or or should your is your idea actually part of the solution um that we already think of um yeah the downgrading is also part of the circular idea of using plastics i i don't think downgrading is a is an idea uh, at, like it it it's as a, I'll go back to it. It's a it's a time capsule. So there are lots of companies that are making fleece jackets and fabric using PET. But ask them what's happening to that fleece after after the consumer throws it away. There are uh, Patagonia has a, a buyback or take back scheme where they're taking back their clothes from the consumers. But this is actually being stored in a warehouse forever, 
they don't know what to do with it. But so they, it's not going back into the cycle. No, eventually. it's not. Yeah. So it's all of this. E mm -hmm. So PET is probably the most recycled plastic out there. Twenty percent of all plastic uh, of is PET, PET is being recycled, oh, yeah. but most of it is being downcycled. So there are Coca-Cola has just started doing a very small scale closed loop recycling in America, and uh, I think Nestle as well to a certain extent. But they already had targets for achieving uh, twenty five percent recyclability by twenty fifteen. 15. And it's six years already since 2015, and they are at 9.7%. Oh, that's not even... So uh, the the idea of EPR and all of this is not obligatory. It is yeah, their it's, it's own, a direction, but nothing more their than own, that. And yeah. many times it's also a PR stunt, because uh, yeah. uh, there is a coalition called the Alliance to End Plastic Waste, and it's a giant, giant alliance who has a lot of reach, and a lot of people to uh, listen to. But if you go and see who is actually investing in uh, this uh, foundation, you will know that these are mostly plastic uh, companies, that they are not openly saying that we are, we are investing in this foundation. But on the back, they are uh, investing in mm. small, small initiatives that kind of but create a fog. So yeah. le legislation is one of the solutions then, that companies can be checked also and their promises are also being... Yes. It should yes. be really more sort of contract. Yes, of we need to set yeah. targets that should be achieved and not s set out targets that on the get-go itself sound yeah. really too good to be true. Yeah, because I uh, there was also in a conversation with uh, with Mr. Balkanende. Um, you didn't hear that part, but I asked him the question whether uh, it's not indeed just a marketing stunt for, for the companies that are in the DCC. Uh, he was really... Um, yeah, convinced of the idea that that was definitely not the case because he also said like, yeah. if that might be the case, then it might hurt all the companies within this coalition very badly because if that will yeah be become public once, then you're done. All the trust is gone. So yeah, yeah, I, I fully agree, and that's indeed the case. But also, uh, I can be very open about it. This is also something that we need to do to take this responsibility yeah. because we are putting those packs on the market. So it's also to protect our self-interest. It's, it's, it's not it's philanthropy. Not just, uh, we, we have to do yeah. that for ourselves. And we try to pick up the pace and do it a little bit faster than the market. So I also agree that we need legislation to push uh, players across the market um, uh, that don't feel that uh, that obligation to, uh, to, to accelerate. And therefore, we can be a frontrunner, but we also need to take the laggards along with us yeah. because uh, otherwise um, we'll be there front running for all the time and feeling, then yeah. uh, have a, a competitive disadvantage, whereas I feel we can have a competitive advantage by yeah. accelerating. Yeah, exactly. Going back a little bit, by the way, about uh, uh, the pet recycling, I think there's a, a technique described in the of, of referred to in the uh, report, which is uh, called Ionica, yeah, uh, exactly. if I'm correct. Yeah. Could you quickly describe how this works? Because yeah, it's I think quite um, new. Uh, it's it's uh, it's a good example uh, on uh, on the PET bottles and the fleece jackets. And uh, what was funny is that when I spoke to Ionica, it's a uh, spin-off from the Technical University of Eindhoven, and uh, we've invested in them together with Coca-Cola at the later stage to develop a, a new recycling technology, which is called depolymerization, taking PET bottles or trays or other poly uh, uh, polyester types. Um, turning them back into a monomer, so from a polymer to a monomer, and then building it up again, so you have a virgin uh, quality product again, and you can indefinitely do that, that process. So it's, uh, uh, whereas recycling often 
comes, uh, uh, downcycling comes along quality losses or also yield losses. Um, and that technology is, uh, is now being set up in the south of the Netherlands where they uh, shared an example with me and uh, they made it a marketing discussion. This um, sweater or this uh, jacket is made from PET bottles. And they said, we could also do the opposite. We create a bottle and said, this bottle is made from uh, a fleece jacket. From jacket. <laughs> so uh, the other, uh, the, one, uh, the first yeah. one isn't more sustainable than the other one. It's both is possible, but we need to have these techniques. And, yeah, and then the scenario becomes more realistic that we were talking about earlier. Yeah. Exactly. Like a yeah. completely reversible cycle. Exactly. And, and, why and why do we need that? If you want to have your soda or your food product, you want it to be safe. We can't give in on product safety. So no, that's why no. we need this technology. Yeah. As long as the fleece jacket is made completely out of PET. Yeah. If, it's <laughs> if it has cotton in it, then there's another it's problem. Yeah. So it comes back to designers to think about it in the beginning that if you create a product even if it's not completely recyclable right now uh, we need to make sure that the contamination level in those products are as low as possible yeah, yeah and doesn't it cost a lot of energy uh, to to have this process in the first place the, this process is relatively low energy uh, the pyrolysis process is consuming more energy and that's why we need to use catalysts and we need to use uh, uh, um, steam cracker or uh, green powered uh, Crackers. So in that sense, one is more sustainable than the other. You could say. Well, uh, in, if you fully uh, only look at the CO2 emissions, uh, there's a different footprint. But if you look at the, the problem they solve, the pyrolysis process can cope with a lot more contamination and can use all the polyolefins, so the PE and PP combinations. Which Just is put everything in there. Yeah, so yeah, it's, yeah. It's, it's also bigger, uh, a bigger okay. solution. Um, but we are happy to work with these type of smaller scale partners and try to work when to scale up. Uh, Ionica is an example. We also have some, uh, some others going on. Have you heard of uh, this uh, technology? I think it's been developed by uh, some professors in TU Delphi. They're using um, a magnetic separation of plastics. Uh, yep. so oh, that seriously? Uh, yeah, so well, each plastic has their own um, weight. Or yeah, oh, weight, on, yeah, on yeah. weight, and they react differently in different liquids. Okay. So they charge this liquid with different... Um, they change the uh, volume or the weight of the water so that certain types of plastic float up and certain sink down and then they change oh. it again so that second type of plastic comes or floats and the rest goes down. So using that you can really quickly separate all types of plastics. Uh, so uh, going back to the first issue, like I think you mentioned this about how, how people, waste recyclers can separate are they able to separate all types of plastic or not? In India, for example, I spoke to some recyclers and they can, some of, there, there are kids who are doing this as well, but some of these kids can, uh, using, just knocking the plastic on a, on a hard surface, they can make sure, they can separate them into 50 different categories 50 of color, type, five zero. Of by first of all, not all by just sound, also by color and then yeah, texture okay, and okay. all that, but uh, they can, separated manually into 50 types, but that's wow. so slow still. It's yeah. still so slow, the amount of plastic out there. So technologies like these where you use mostly autonomous separation, that, that, that that's much, much more uh, applicable Automized, along yeah. with the technology with Ionica, for example. Yeah, I fully agree. And I think there are uh, two nice examples to mention also that are tested here in the Netherlands and uh, working with other partners to use them internationally. So first of all is the magnetic density separation, as you uh, mentioned, from, from Umincorp. And they are able to sort out the plastic resin type with a 99% purity. And um, that means we can almost use this type of output as input again. 
So yeah. not food grade, but very high quality. And yeah, because food grade has to be 100%. Uh, yeah. yeah, and also uh, gets some contaminants out ah, that yeah, okay. uh, can't uh, have in there. But So that is a promising technology for us to use for uh, detergents, for instance. Okay. Uh, uh, lower thresholds. Uh, and secondly, uh, the role of the consumer is difficult, especially in urban areas. You don't want to have six or seven bins. And, and in other countries, there's not even a proper infrastructure. So what we need to do is also develop post-collection sorting systems. Collecting first, sorting after. And machines can sort a lot of plastic types, as you mentioned in India. Except for black colors. Yeah, we also work on detectable black. So uh, <laughs> on uh, carbon, which is a, uh, you know, the ox bottles is a good example. We love them to be black and we need to have the color, but we need to have them sorted as well. Uh, so we need to work on a different pigment. So you have all these types of innovations from technical people from your university that can contribute uh, uh, to the circularity. And I think uh, a lot of techniques are already there, but they need to be scaled. And we are uh, partners that should work on the scaling. Yeah, so... Um, yeah, okay, so so the scaling is very important, but also the role of the consumer. Yeah, and this, this role of the consumer, because yeah. I think this example is interesting of this X um, bottles. And also, if you look here at TU Delft, they always yeah, try to find a solution in technology, but there's also a reverse way of thinking, like why not make the X uh, bottles another color if that's easier to detect, uh, right? And also, maybe your example, Rushab, in, in India, where people um, yeah manually... Um, how do you say that, sort all yeah. these plastics? Yeah, doesn't it make more sense um, Yeah, to think in a reversed way? Um, and don't, isn't there a lot to gain uh, there th from the consumer? Um, uh, yeah, I mean, for the consumer, uh, we all want our, all our electronics to be black. I mean, just we just prefer, all our headphones right now are black. All our, like everything around us, most of it is black, so we just have a strong inclination to like things in that particular color. But also no one, I, I think, knows that this has a, a negative effect on the recycling. Again, the yeah. consciousness is very low. Yes, uh, but that's what, if you are in the field and you're doing this research, that's when you come to know this. This is not open knowledge, or it's not easily available knowledge, I would say. Um, what was the first question about the kids in India, of the sorting in India? No, that I was also wondering, like, if we, if all the process is after this, um, collecting, we we don't see it anymore as yeah. consumer. Everything's arranged, and maybe when the sorting is done manually, at least it's very visible. So maybe there's more consciousness about the process and how complicated it is. No, yeah, not everyone knows that it's been done. Also in in Mumbai, okay. nobody really wants to go into these neighborhoods where they're doing this stuff. Yes, yeah, so it's still kind of hidden, but yes. then geographically. Uh, for example, I'll give an example. Uh, when I was in these neighborhoods doing uh, the research and I posted stuff on Instagram uh, about whatever I'm seeing, really, really dirty stuff, some of my friends themselves just uh, messaged me, hey, can you please stop posting? Posting this on your Instagram, it's showing, it's showing India in a bad light. Okay, it's yeah. the like, real light, maybe. Well, okay, yeah. I mean, yeah. Uh, what's it the issue? Seen, yes, right? exactly. So th there's also this. Really, I don't want to see this because it's it's ruining my day, kind of a feeling. So please stop. Yeah, and that's also the issue with this, uh, the whole climate emergency and plastic issue. People are bombarded with really negative images all the time, mm -hmm. and you are saturated. It, you just become indifferent because you are trying to see the negative side of it. So I think the whole uh, approach to this needs to be made a bit more positive by showcasing more positive things that could be done rather than 
everything is bad. Yeah. So, for instance, your your Unibrick, your invention, actually. Yeah. Like because is that also um, made to be used on site? Like, for instance, Mumbai, you you just yeah. mentioned. Like, is is it possible to uh, make these bricks out of plastic waste yeah. and use them for housing there to to build houses? Yeah. That the concept is to create a decentralized solution. So uh, rather than plastic being transported from yeah. one country to the other or even one city to the other, we could have these small manufacturing facilities within the neighborhoods that can process plastic being shipped, like transported from one country to the other or one city to the other. We could have a decentralized material factory where plastic from one particular area can be collected by these recyclers, brought to this factory, produced into bricks, and then be given back to the people living in that same neighborhood to build houses. So what it does is first brings more economy to the local neighborhood. Yeah. Second is uh, kind of provide housing. building materials that yeah. are not sourced from all over the country or maybe from different parts of the world and create a construction system that's very simple for people to build their own houses. Because these people are already building their own houses. In, in a way, you are just trying to make sure that it's built in a, yeah. in a somewhat safe. structural way. Yeah. Yeah, and is it already being applied? Actually, we are. Uh, I mean, at this moment, we are still working on the research and development side of it because not okay. all plastic can be used. Yeah, and course. what are the health impacts on you on living in a plastic house? Can these be mitigated? And uh, does all like what plastic we are using is it available in every country in the world or not? So there are many yeah, of these. Yeah, that was also what I was wondering. Like, could we see it use being used in the Netherlands as well? Uh, maybe in some aspect, but I'm sure it can't be uh, used for a house. Uh, wait, there is already a, a house being built with plastic waste, actually, by this company called Save Plastics or something. Oh, okay, uh, they, they, he built his own house with his, with plastic waste. So it's also actually. interesting to watch to yeah. see. Um, yeah. Yeah. To follow the development. It's possible. Of so there are many other ways. If not for housing, then you could use it for uh, like uh, furniture in the city or. Uh, for um yeah they are using it for roads right now in the netherlands um there are other issues that i think that are when you use it for roads for example the microplastics that it creates that goes into the waterways that increases the microplastic into the water so when it comes to building houses or walls with it there is not a lot of friction that causes microplastics uh, less less microplastics i would say yeah. so it can be used yes all right cool yeah, it's really nice to hear about um, yeah your initiative. So we we've talked about the really more uh, top-down approach, I think, and why collaboration on an international level or within multinationals is really necessary, also to have a big impact. And we've also seen um, what your frustration or your motivation to start your own startup. Is there a way these initiatives could also work together like is there some kind of common ground where both top down and yeah bottom up ideas can can go together what do you guys think yeah i think uh, there are several and uh, to start um, is your comment on the, on a decentralized solution and i think uh, that is also something we, we should embrace so you can't do everything centrally and you don't don't need to do that but you need to develop solutions that you can deploy on different uh, in different locations. So develop once, test, improve, learn, and then deploy uh, as, as broadly as possible. Uh, and on the other hand, you have this insights on how it actually works in Mumbai and the, and the, the pollution from the rivers, that's the actual current situation. So we don't have a blank drawing board where we can start designing from scratch. We have an existing situation that we need to improve. And uh, I think the, the insights coming from there on, on 
this can work in uh, in Mumbai, this can work in, in Jakarta, this can work in Bangladesh, is definitely something we need. Uh, and they also have an example, which was um, uh, we use a lot of small uh, bags to sell shampoo or, or detergents, and they call sachets. Yeah. And the sachets are really difficult to recycle. So we are working on recycling technologies with partners, but there's no incentive to collect. So we need to work with local partners, with waste banks, to make sure that that infrastructure is created. And that is not something you can do from a, an office. You have to be people that are actually there and know what is, uh, what is going on. And that definitely is something we would need. So building insights and then scaling that in terms of deploying it everywhere, so not centralizing. Yeah, um, I think so too. I think at, at some levels we have to work together, but at some levels it's very difficult to work together as well because sometimes there are also companies that want to recycle only their own plastic. So the plastic that has been has, has a logo of their company, that's the one that we want. We don't want anything else. So in that sense, it becomes even more complicated for small companies who are trying to solve the larger variety of plastics versus the company that wants to target, that wants their own plastic to not be shown on the, on the river or not being shown in the roads, et cetera. So there needs to be some kind of common ground so that we can work together on some level. But I think individually as well, we need to um, have much more smaller, smaller, smaller ideas that are working, that are working uh, uh, parallelly, yeah. I think one uh, uh, company that uh, we should also mention here is the uh, the Ocean Cleanup, uh, which is a, um, a startup from Theo Delft, and I think you can be very proud of it as uh, as alumni or current students. Uh, and they also shifted their focus, and I, uh, we were very positive about that change. We have uh, some engagements with them uh, from ocean cleanups to river cleanups. And mm, in yeah. my view, river cleanups are something you should definitely do a lot more and of course it's still cleaning up mess that shouldn't be there in the first place but that is how it is the problem is already there is the problem is already there and i think they are now doing that and trying to do that and, uh, in the the biggest rivers that are mostly in southeast asia if i understand correctly and um uh, something uh david elf contributed to very cool yeah they, they do realize that once you uh once the plastic reach the, reaches the ocean the the uh, amount of money that you need to uh, collect that same amount of plastic is magnified by 10 times. So if you collect it in at the at the river, then you you save a lot of money in collecting it. You're way closer to the source of the problem. One, one uh, uh, critical uh, thing I have with Ocean Cream, they are extremely ambitious, but unfortunately, I personally believe that we will not be able to get rid of all the plastic in the ocean. That's, that's a pipe dream. Because... Uh, a lot of this plastic is in the bottom of the bed of the ocean, which and is already breaking down, right? Yeah. It's kilometers and kilometers down in the bottom of the ocean. So some of this plastic we'll not get rid of. I hope we get rid of most of it. That, I that thought you were the positive. Uh, I am a realist <laughs> as well. So I have this uh, in my brain. I can't constantly fight with being optimistic and yeah, being realistic. So you yeah. have to kind of be Find a middle ground. Be be real about yeah. it. Okay. Well, guys, thank you very much for your broad explanation. Uh, to wrap up, I have one uh, last question, uh, if you could answer it uh, very shortly. Um, what would you think that the students in academia could do uh, mostly in order to help uh, to recycle plastics? Make less of it first. Uh, and whatever new things we are making, make them, uh, uh, yeah, so that we can recycle it later on. Use only some types of plastics, possibly. And uh, it's, I think it's much more of a role of uh, the designer, the, uh, con the producer, mm -hmm. and the government than it's the role of the consumer. Okay.
Yeah, so I think um, we always say that consumers decide with their wallets. So they choose brands that think are contributing to the bigger um, bigger societal challenges. And if they do so, they will promote the brands that choose a sustainability direction uh, versus the brands that uh, hardly do anything. And also hold, uh, hold governments and companies accountable. There are many ways of doing that. And um, as a company, we feel that uh, in particular. So if we want to be a front runner, we also can be taken accountable for it. And consumers have the resources now to do that. Thank you very much. Thank you very much for your advice, for all your explanations. I think we broadly discussed all the problems that are currently there, but also the uh, possible solutions that uh, might be uh, implemented. There's hope. There's a lot of hope, and I hope as well that it will be uh, solved soon, this, this problem. We need all the hope we can get. I think that's <laughs> that's uh, one a of... A realistic or optimistic view? Uh, I think we we have no choice. We have no choice. We have to do we it. We don't have a choice, yeah. guys. Fully agree. Just <laughs> Well, thank you very much. I hope uh, I hope the goals will be reached very soon. And um, I'm uh, I'm interested in uh, in um, the developments of the DSGC and uh, the conclusions and the implementation of the advices given in the report. And to everyone at home, thanks for listening. In two weeks, there will be another episode of the Let's Talk About X podcast, and this time it will be about climate activism. I don't know if you've noticed, but a few weeks ago, people were protesting near the train station in Delft, for instance against the current uh, policy on climate change uh, of the current government. So if you're interested in that, stay tuned. Um, and of course, we're a community-driven podcast, so if you have an interesting topic of which you want to know more about, or if you are an expert yourself on something interesting, please do not hesitate to send us a message via the Institute of Instagram or other channels. See you next time. Thank you for having Thanks. us. Thanks, bye.